0: It's time to make the dough rise,
1: the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Hey, it's another edition of Make the Dough Rise. Walter Storholt here alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at LivingWorth Wealth Advisors. Good show on the way today as we're going to tackle the tough topic of health insurance and the sky-high prices and costs involved and what to do if you are planning for retirement and trying to figure all that out. Brian, it's good to be with you this week. Uh, how are you?
0: No, everything's going great. We uh, had a big homecoming week last week, and uh, next week will be fall break, and we're
1: going to head to the beach. Nice. That'll be fun. So think it'll still be warm enough and, and nice to get out there and enjoy?
0: Yeah, it'll be pleasant. I think the temperatures are, su- are supposed to be in the uh, mid-70s and sunny. And the island that we're going to, they cut in half years ago for to make a little passageway for the boats and, and uh, fishing boats to more quickly get out to sea. And so the one end of the island is very developed, and the other end is pristine, untouched. And we're staying down on the end, close to the cut. And so we're going to get kayaks and go over to the old, original, all-natural section of the island. So we'll have plenty of romping around, and we're going to do a little fishing day one day. We're going to go catch some redfish up in the bay. And then uh, Natalie and I are going to leave a day early and go hit a couple more Florida springs on the way down
1: Nice. Oh, that'll be great. Well, uh, kayaking in the fall at the uh, ocean is uh, one of the best things you can do. So I think you're going to have a fantastic time out there. Uh, tell us all about Should the trip when you come back. Look forward to hearing. We'll you do it. About I'll it. take good notes. All right. Very good. Well, We've got health care to talk about. But before we dive into that main topic of the day, you wanted to do a follow up about some Social Security discussion that we'd had recently. And we have kind of a, a follow up to an interesting story that you were relaying to us on a prior episode.
0: Yeah, a couple things. I was going to go back and talk about the Social Security success story, and then uh, maybe do a quick pass on the uh, the bricks and the de-dollarization that we talked about in the past. So, yeah, last Friday I got some very good news. I have an individual client right after she divorced, she started claiming a uh, spousal benefit, which is perfectly legal and what you would do. But then not too long after, remarried and called Social Security to change her name and notify them of. You know the fact that she remarried but it maybe wasn't articulated clearly enough that she was changing her benefit to her new spouse now my argument was that it was kind of social security's job at that point to step in and say hey why are you changing your name is there something going on with your you know marital status and do do we need to change your your benefit but that's not quite how Social Security operates sometimes. I mean, half the time you can get a very good representative and then other times you can get representatives that you know, they might be new. They may not know all the ins and outs and they may not proactively help you make changes. And that's what happened in this case. And uh, once she went to switch to her own benefit because she had a good earnings record at at age 70, would, was going to get a boost. They looked at our current situation and said, oh, you've been drawing the wrong benefit, and we're starting the process to reclaim and and recover that. And so we went and met at the Social Security office. We tried to talk to uh, attorneys and and find somebody to help represent, and they went very legalistic and very um, almost confrontational or unwilling to help and be reasonable. And they jumped ahead and said, you know, this is not our fault. This is your fault for not notifying us correctly. And we did, we started doing a lot of research and in the process found out that you can't actually hire an attorney to represent you against social security and disability claims. Because social security and disability are tied together, there is a ruling for that section of law or or, or government programs that says, if you work with an attorney to file a claim, the attorney has to get compensated by the social security administration. And this works fine in the disability world where there's, there's lots of cases they get paid on a, a share of what you actually collect. But because our case was so rare, no attorney was actually even set up or able to take on the case because we, we wanted to hire and get legal advice, couldn't. So I thought that was kind of a, an interesting thing that said you know they've they basically got the deck stacked against you where you, you can't even go out and, and hire an attorney to give you a good solid legal opinion and, and form an argument. So my advice then was to appeal and we were trying to get a hearing in front of a actual judge to, to get an administrative hearing but in the process, we contacted a state representative. And turns out they have actually very good and responsive resources to help constituents. And so we were, we're trying to hit this on, on all fronts. And we were able to elevate the case to somebody at Social Security who could really look at it. And we had better formulated our argument. And in the end, we did get a favorable ruling. I don't know if it was out of um, any kind of Pressure, or if it was out of you know, the sensibility of, of a more qualified person looking at it, or what it was, but they they did rule in the the client's favor, and um, that's that was a huge win. If you ever run into a case like this, here's the takeaway, here's the lesson: if you have any kind of status change, married, divorced, change a name, a spouse dies, call Social Security and tell them. Everything and make very good notes of what you said and what you told them and be very very diligent about it Put what you can in writing Because they're making very good notes when they talk with you And if they have something in their notes that is in their favor or maybe contradicts what you said or does not substantiate what you said they're gonna go with their notes and so I would implore people to document it, get it either in a face-to-face meeting with a follow-up email and or letter, maybe send them an email just saying, just to recap, I have remarried, I have changed my name, we've got a, a spouse that has passed, am I collecting my best benefit? Am I collecting my correct benefit? What are my different benefit options at this stage? and make them articulate to you in, in as clear terms and as, as documented terms as you can get. Uh, but again, we've positively resolved it and a lot of lessons learned there. If you're needing to contact the Social Security Administration, if you're trying to calculate which benefit to get, please reach out. Give me a call. i have some good, you know, good lessons learned and a lot about the law that is applicable. And we've got good calculators to help calculate, hey, which benefit should I start? When should I start it? What's the tax implication of that? We've done 100 laps around that already. But uh, yeah, that was an interesting resolution to the case.
1: Yeah, talk about going the extra mile. That's uh, awesome to hear how that story turned out and all the different uh, hoops that you had to jump through to figure out that problem. But uh, great to have a success story there capped off. And, again, if you do have questions for Brian want to reach out, need help uh, making those Social Security changes or figuring out any element of Social Security as it relates to your retirement future, you can always call 706 or go online to livingworth.com and book a call through the website as well. So that's one update, Brian. But you also mentioned uh, we had a recent episode, obviously, breaking down BRICS and uh, everything related to that. What's the update on that front? Well,
0: if we talked about the death of the dollar and the the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa are the big new rising economies. They have the huge share of the world's population and account for a major portion of the world's GDP. And they're all banding together to render the dollar, the power of the dollar, obsolete. And they're going to start their own currency block. And they've got all these other countries coming on board with them. And it's just going to be the rise of a, you know, a whole new era in uh, geopolitical power. And we, I think, we pretty well you know, exposed the the realities of that. You'll have to go back and listen to that episode if you want. But I ran across one more statistic that kind of drove home my point about if this is such a awesome, uh, great new currency arrangement, it should attract capital. This should be an environment that draws capital, you know, both, both financial capital, intellectual capital, human capital. It, sh- it should attract all of those things, and it's not. And the number that I saw was the migration of millionaires and at the top of the list in order uh, of the acronym, Brazil, Russia, India, China, every one of those countries had a net out migration of millionaires either already this year or expected as we go through the rest of this year, Brazil lost 1,200, Russia lost 3,000. India lost 6,500. China lost 13,500. And South Africa lost 500. So every single country in this BRICS super global structure is seeing capital flight. And this is, you know, and and probably uh, intellectual capital flight, brain and human capital flight as well as these people leave. They've gotten rich in these countries, they've made some money with whatever business they have, but they don't want to stay there. These are not places that are friendly to uh, you know, future wealth creation in their eyes. The other one that was on the list that I thought was interesting was the UK. And they actually had one of the largest losses, uh, not not as large as, as uh, China, but they lost 3,200 millionaires. I think that is a testament to is when Brexit hit, Britain had done a very poor job of renegotiating all of the trade agreements and you've got currency issues now and you've got trade restrictions and you don't have uh, free trade agreements in place that they had when they were part of the EU and you were left with a vacuum or a, a lot of uncertainty about what the rules were going to be and how businesses were going to operate. And, and so again, this drives my point home when you have an opaque system or one that is not friendly and conducive to the free flow of trade, money movement, economic and, and and banking factors. The United States is uniquely positioned with Canada and Mexico on either side. We've got free trade agreements. We've got, you know, very, you know, connected borders geographically close together. There's no hostilities over Geographic territories, or you know, any any kind of issue like that that's causing like a political instability or a rivalry. Russia and China have ge- border issues. China and India have border issues. India and Pakistan have have border issues. All of these countries they, they really don't get along. They don't really like each other. They're they're just trying to pull this together to um, I think is a hail mary that ultimately is is not going to work. So on the flip side. I looked at where all the millionaires went. Care to take a guess where they went, Walter? I'm going to guess to uh, to non-BRICS countries. <laughs> exactly. The U.S. gained 2,100. Australia, 5,200. Interesting. Singapore, 3,200. United Arab Emirates, fourth up, four thousand five hundred. And Switzerland, uh, 1,800. France, a 1, thousand. So, what do all those countries have in common? You know, they're very Open to commerce, they have free flow of capital. Uh, in the case of United Arab Emirates and uh, Singapore, I think they have a geography and a tax. In, in the case of United Arab Emirates, a tax advantage. So they're they're sort of close to where all these new millionaires are in whether it's Russia or China or India. Singapore is geographically convenient. Um, United Arab Emirates, you know, kind of right in the, the middle of. Asia and, and Europe. And then uh yeah, the people going to Switzerland and France, there's not the big tax advantage, but there is uh, security and, and safety and, and and you know, I suppose people looking more as that is a place where opportunity exists going forward and they're gonna better be able to either you know protect, preserve, or amplify their, their capital. So if you look at the movement of actual people on the ground. If this BRICS currency, you know, whether it's the Chinese Yuan or some something else that they make up, even the people that have it don't want it. And where do they want to go? They want to come to a lot of these places that do have all of the factors that I said are necessary for the good propagation of, of, of capital. And the ultimate final note is, is that if you look at Brazil, India, and China, which are three of the top BRICS, uh, they are at the top of the stack for income inequality, and so I think what you're seeing is a lot of you know people getting rich. This isn't trickling down to the middle class, and uh, that that ultimately is what you, what you want is to have all of society benefiting, and and you're just you're just not seeing that in the BRICS countries.
1: Great breakdown. Appreciate the follow-up on both of those items, the Social Security one and this BRICS death of the dollar conversation we had a few episodes back. Highly encourage uh, folks to go and listen to that one and check it out for sure. Uh, But I kind of feel like now you're setting us up, Brian. You gave us the good news first, and now comes the bad news when we get to the healthcare talk today.
0: Well, unfortunately, I've been uh, looking at not only client budgets, but my own budget and what I've been noticing is that we're just getting clobbered in two big areas the one that's no surprise is taxes and you know we've talked about the end of the you know trump era tax cuts will be coming to an end in a couple years we're going to revert back to some older tax law in 2026 if nothing happens it's not nothing new there but health care and insurance costs actually all insurance costs are off the chart for me right now. And then health insurance has just been going up and up and up. And it seems like every year we get a little, little bit less for what more we're paying.
1: Well, I certainly feel this, Brian, there've been a couple of times going to the doctor recently where I look at the, the, you know, the bill afterward. And I think about what I'm paying in premiums and I'm like, Oh man, like, might as well just not even be insured and just pay out of pocket and get some discounts at this point. I mean, it's it's sad that there's that many times where that kind of thought enters your your head, you know, and and that that's not really creating much value for people. I mean, other than just catastrophic coverage, like what is what is healthcare coverage really helping me out with these days?
0: Yeah, and I, and I think we've kind of hit a a barbell where it, it covers some basic uh, healthcare coverage, very minimal annual exam, a little bit of blood work, and, and but there you know, firsthand, my my mother-in-law was a nurse practitioner and she finally just retired because she'd had enough of, you know, the sort of of the egg timer service model where you had to see X number of patients every hour and they just ran them through there as, as fast as they could. And so I think they're trying to give a minimum amount of basic checkup and coverage to everyone. And then, yeah, on the other end, it's just catastrophic. And so we're paying higher and higher premiums the uh, co-pays. A lot of our co-pays have gone up to eighty dollars. And I remember copay used to be, let I me, mean, five, ten, fifteen dollars, something like that. It was it was just enough to yeah. give you a little bit of skin in the game to you know just keep you from saying, hey, it's totally free. To where you know I, I feel like a basic uh, visit is you're, you you've got to be paying a, a significant portion of it with an eighty copay. co-pay. And uh, each of the deductibles. You know, I've got a family of five, so my health insurance premiums altogether are running close to 2000 a month just under that it, it's it's somewhere between 1800 and 2000 a month crazy which is just crazy yeah i could buy more than a mortgage a, yeah more than a mortgage <laughs> and and so i i really am concerned for you know people that don't have you know the incomes and the the resources to pay for that uh, I think it ties into past conversations I've had about, you know, we, we've got a demographic problem because people are not having children because it's so expensive to. And, and certainly healthcare has got to be one of those things that factors in, because if you're paying a couple thousand dollars a month for health care and then you each, each person has $80 copays and everybody has a $3,000 deductible. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like I'm insured and we don't have dental insurance. I just pay for that out of pocket. And, and so just over and over, uh, I'm looking at paying more, paying more, and getting less, getting less. So I said, well, is this just me? Are they just picking on me? And uh, this has not happened to everybody else. And so I did a little bit of research, and the uh, heritage.org did a, a full study, and they looked at state by state what has happened to Individual insurance premiums, not just the Obamacare premiums, but all premiums. And, and what they basically found is that healthcare cost has doubled for individual healthcare insurance since Obamacare. And it's different by different states. I, I happen to be in a uh, Pennsylvania group plan. And so that premium from 2013 is up 150%. So, where you might have been paying, you know, two hundred forty dollars a month back in twenty thirteen, by twenty nineteen, this is this is old data, uh, that was up to six hundred and four dollars, and I think I saw that Georgia uh, specifically was up maybe one hundred and eighty percent, so almost a triple from from where we were uh, b- before Obamacare came in. I don't know how to dissect what exactly caused all of that. But yeah, the data is there that uh, everybody is paying a lot more, and uh, the government's attempt to to step in and make healthcare affordable has has done anything but. I
1: uh, I think it's interesting because you kind of nailed this. I remember I, we weren't doing the podcast back when Obamacare first uh, came to fruition, but I do remember over the past couple of years since 2019, when we started this podcast, Brian, you mentioning multiple times about how. The cost of healthcare was going to outpace general inflation, and and maybe general inflation has caught up a little bit this past year. But uh, but it certainly, looking at this data, shows that uh, the price re- you know increases have been definitely out of control, and, and probably made that uh, those predictions and those statements true.
0: Yeah, I've seen some inflation charts on the two biggest things that the government is involved in subsidizing or you know, controlling or regulating. Healthcare and education, higher education. And those were the two things that over the past couple of decades have skyrocketed in price. So I think what we're seeing is a consolidation and control has continued to move into government, big hospitals, and big insurance companies. A lot of practices are getting you know bought up and absorbed by the big uh, hospitals in, in towns. I feel very much like you're getting what the insurance company approves for you to get and if you want anything extra or you want to spend extra time it's it's really just not not available and i think that consolidation you know, medicare obviously is the biggest provider of, of health insurance and because of all these skyrocketing prices i've never seen more people eager to reach age 65 so that they can at least just get on medicare and and qualify for the the basic coverage of of, of Medicare, but I think this is uh, I don't know if we've talked about it in the past, but I'll I'll repeat it if we have. What what has happened is a continuation on of a problem that actually began in World War II. And if you go back to World War II, companies were having trouble hiring employees. There was a shortage of workers. You had all the yeah, men shipped off for, for war, they, they were trying to find, you know, qualified people for domestic production and manufacturing, but the government stepped in and said, Oh, we wages are getting out of control. We're, we're, we're putting in price controls. We're going to cap wages. And so companies had their hands tied and couldn't pay competitive wages to get the, the people that they wanted. And so what they did was they slipped in benefits. Well, we can't give you a pay raise, but hey, we can give you health insurance, and so that was the origin of employer-provided health insurance. And and so many people today don't even realize that that you know connection is there or exists. And I've even seen uh, owners of companies say, "Why? Why do I have to provide health care for everybody?" Not not because they weren't wanting to, but just because it's clearly the only really good source that you have of getting a competitive group plan, or if the company is large enough, they can do a private arrangement with the hospitals in town and just self, self-insure self to, to try to con- control the cost. But yeah, that, that's the source of employer provided health insurance. And now today, if you're doing the gig economy, or if you're an independent consultant or something like that, you don't have the purchasing power of a large corporation or company uh, to get you a competitive rate. And that's, that's causing the individual to have to pay you know, these super high premiums, or, or in my case, we're in, we're in a much smaller group. We're still a group, but we're a small group. And so it helps a little bit, but we, we end up paying for it.
1: Yeah. It's not only costs that we're talking about either in this healthcare discussion, it's, it's a broader scope than that. And again, this was pretty much forewarned about moving in this direction that there were going to be now longer wait times and slower turnarounds on things. And uh, we're kind of seeing that come to fruition as well.
0: Yeah, especially in, up in places like Canada, where they've really pushed for nationalized health care, or you hear everybody chanting Medicare for all. As, as bad as things seem to be here in the US, uh, if you look at Canada and, and Britain both, they've, uh, you're actually seeing a migration back to the privatization of health care in, in England because the, uh, yeah, the public model is just not working.
1: It's kind of interesting. Um, my wife works in healthcare, and but we were in a we were in a group, and, and everyone was talking about how long it takes to get X, Y, and Z done. And we we mm-hmm. discovered a very common thread between all of the art industries. People are saying, Walter, how long does it take if uh, if I wanted to start a podcast? How long does that take? And I'm like, well, technically I could launch one today, but you know, most people it takes four to six weeks to to do a podcast. And then mm-hmm. my wife Connie is you know talking about her her you know if someone comes in with pain and. They need an injection or need a procedure. This and that. How fast can they be seen? About four to six weeks, and then it, uh, I forget what the other couple of industries were at the table. And but somebody else was like, "Yeah, that's about our turnaround time too." So everything was four to six weeks at this table, and so we had a good chuckle about how you know that sounds fast in some industries, but then four to six weeks can uh, sound like an eternity if you're in pain or having an mm-hmm. ailment or some other issue.
0: Well, and I'll, I'll add my statistic to that. If you're in financial pain and he walked in and we did a a financial plan, uh, consolidated assets, got portfolios up and running and, and did projections in four to six weeks. If you're cooperative,
1: <laughs> uh, we, we could probably do the same. <laughs> an, an, another perfect timeline, another perfect turnaround. So yeah, America, the land of four to six week turnarounds. Sounds that's like. right. That's so, right. Which, you know, maybe, maybe a good thing in some cases, maybe not in others, but at least not as bad as some people in, in places. Uh, well, and, and very at least good, in Brian. the
0: podcast and in financial world, you have uh, transparency. And I, and I think that's just what we're lacking in the, The healthcare sector because if you've ever gone in and just said how much is this going to cost just for fun try that next time you go into your general practitioner a hospital anything that's tied in very closely to the insurance reimbursement mechanism they literally can't give you a cost you have no idea and you don't know what your bill is going to be. You don't know how much they're going to charge. There's there's this massive disconnect. And, and like I said, I mentioned the the coding and and all that that goes through the insurance and and Medicare reimbursement systems. There is a solution to this, and we we see it because I mean a lot of people argue that we need even more government control or more you know consolidation or, or get get all this under one umbrella. And my experience is that that just makes things more bureaucratic, less responsive. Longer wait times and everything, and if you contrast that, all of the things that you pay out of pocket for, like I said, dental, I go in and say I don't have insurance. I just need to know the cash price. Well, there's enough people doing that that they can actually give you a a reasonable price. I don't feel like I overpay for my my dental coverage. Uh, If you see pay for service procedures, which would be elective or especially like cosmetic type surgery, you can go in and say, you know, how much is, does this cost? And they can give you a price. Uh, you see a lot with the longevity and biohacking. Uh, there's a lot of people out there, you know, looking for performance enhancement, uh, anti-aging treatments and things like that. And they can be fairly expensive. You see it a lot with uh, stem cell treatments and, and things like that. Those are all being privately paid for. And guess what? They can tell you the cost, you can pay for it, and, and you can get it if you have, if you have the money and the resources uh, to do it, obviously. Yeah. That's uh, so,
1: definitely a caveat. R-
0: right. And, and so my uh, personal experience, and I want to make a case for is where I see a breakdown in my service and responsiveness, and I'm getting a lot of runaround for this insurance that I'm paying a premium for. There's a local doctor who does a concierge service and I get migraines like a son of a gun. I've had them for, since seventh grade. Well, I was getting a local, you know, general practitioner. It was very hard to get refills and you, and appointments and you go in and and you just kind of get, like I said, the egg timer treatment. And then when I would need prescriptions refilled, if I called, you leave a a message on an answering machine and we have 48 hours to respond. And then you wait 48 hours and you find out they never got the message and things weren't, called in. And, and by then I'm you know, in crippling pain and the basement and can't even come out of the, the, the bunker. I'm in, in, in such a bad, bad shape. And then they were getting concerned about, I think you're taking too much of this. And they canceled my prescription and tried to send me to a neurologist and made the appointment without consulting me. And I'm like, this is crazy what they're, what they're doing here. And so I signed up for this concierge medicine and I mean, it's just night and day. I walk in, they are set up to accommodate you. You've got a dedicated text line and phone number that you can call that anyone will answer any time of day. If it's a real emergency, obviously you want to not call after hours unless you really need it, but it has cut down me running around to three different doctors. Now, you know, it's $250 a month, basically a premium cable subscription type price per month, but I get great service. They do thorough, thorough checkups, blood panels every year, uh, a couple scans. If I have anything I want to get baselines on heart, and I don't even know what all they're they're checking, but I just feel like I'm getting a really, really, really thorough analysis baseline. It's uh, it, it, it's been a nice experience, but again, it, it's to the point. If you've got the resources to afford it and pay for it, and you need it, you're seeing some private market options. Emerge because the healthcare system is just groaning under the weight of, you know, the you got the, a lot of baby boomers in retirement. There's a demographic element to it for sure, and then just the rigmarole of who's paying, what are the insurance companies covering, the big hospitals, you know, still so, so trying to run things profitably, and
1: uh, I just see it as, as kind of breaking down. The market finds a way. So it sounds like it's, uh, it's figuring its way through that, uh, albeit a bit painfully because of all the other movements and things we've got to consider. But uh, certainly um, interesting to hear about some of the solutions that are popping up. So for a final bow on the episode today, Brian. If uh, we are looking for solutions to figuring out this whole issue with healthcare, well, it seems like that's kind of hard. We can't. We don't really control these things. We can't control that spending and those increased in prices. So I don't know. Are we left hanging without really a solution here? Unfortunately, well,
0: I, I did see one solution. I don't know if this is necessarily a healthcare solution, but it is a, a retirement home solution. I saw an article. A couple booked fifty-one cruises. Back to back for a solid year because it was less expensive to live on vacation on a cruise ship with all meals and entertainment and everything provided than it was to go into the uh, retirement home.
1: I mean, that makes total sense, doesn't it? You, you add up the cost. It's nice and fixed. Your all your meals are covered. You know, the expense of everything, boy, it makes a living on a budget nice and easy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think as long as you don't have a stroke and need a neurosurgeon or something like that, you're, sure. it's probably, probably just fine. But, uh, I, th- I think the bottom line is you need to seriously look at what healthcare costs are going to be in the future, you know, whether it's insurance or actual care that you need and start, budgeting for that because the insurance coverage that my parents and grandparents had no longer exists. Uh, Or if it does, consider yourself very, very lucky. I I would just plan to put an extra emergency fund, medical line item in your monthly budget, something like that. Uh, Because I think the problem is gonna continue to get more and more severe as the full wave of baby boomers go into retirement, Uh, You've got, you know, the Gen X is a smaller demographic population, so you've got a smaller base paying in to Medicare and uh, a a larger base drawing on the benefits. So I, I only see it getting squeezed further from here. So prepare yourself
1: best thing you can do, just prepare your overall financial solution to handle things like healthcare, where we don't have a lot of control over, one, how much we're going to need it ourselves, and two, uh, what those premiums are going to look like, what out-of-pocket expenses are going to be, and how much it's going to increase in the future. We know all those things are likely to increase, um, that both the need and everything else. So put together a plan that can account for that and handle uh, that flexibility. If you're looking to take over that kind of control in your financial future but not sure where to start, well, Brian Doe is a seasoned financial professional, in fact, a CFP. That's uh, the designation. You may have heard of that before. Certified financial planner with more than 20 years of experience can be your trusted partner through the planning process. If it's wanting to create a solid retirement plan or receive expert guidance when it comes to your investments or avoiding uh, costly tax traps, those kinds of things, Brian's going to have you covered on all of those angles. As a certified financial planner professional, he meets all the highest standards of education, training, and ethics, always putting your best interests as the saver and investor first. So take advantage of a complimentary 15-minute call with Brian to get some of that clarity around your financial goals and prepare for a more secure tomorrow. All you have to do to not miss out on that opportunity is call today pave the way to financial success with brian and the team at livingworth wealth advisors all you have to do to get in touch is call 706-451-9800 or go to livingworth.com and click book a call it's that easy livingworth.com and click book a call we've got links and contact info in the description of today's show so you can find it easily brian thanks for the thorough breakdown on all these different issues on today's show and we'll look forward to chatting again soon Sounds good. I hope it was helpful. It was. Have fun at the beach, and we'll talk to everybody next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise.
0: Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the lake country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit makethedoughrise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a
1: complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to makethedoughrise.com and get in touch through the website or call 706-451-9800.
0: Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise.
1: Investment advisory service is offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.